don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. It has been a bit of a crazy day here. I have had power uh, literally shutting off and coming back on every 30 minutes for almost two and a half, three hours this morning before everything was shut down. So I've been unable to access my computer. And then once I finally got the power company to figure out the, I had the huge problem in my meter box on the side of the house. The main line was actually getting yanked, was was almost actually was it was completely pulled out of the contact and it was just resting against it which is crazy crazy not good um and uh then i couldn't figure out it looked like my usb extender and my keyboard were screwed up so i spent an hour trying to diagnose that because all my i have a really obnoxious electronics setup in the closet and uh yeah trying to source out problems with that was basically anything but quick and easy. So uh, it looks like I have got everything back up and running and operational. So we are getting back in. I still want to. It's late in the afternoon already, but I want to try to get in a read today. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully you'll be hearing this or we'll see this posted on Wednesday. Even though I have a man, I have a um something else to get to in about an hour and a half. All right, so let's let's go ahead and I'm not going to waste any time. Let's go ahead and jump right into this read. We are reading part three of four of Brandon Quittum's uh, a mycelium uh, series for Bitcoin. I will link to parts one and two. I don't think you'll really need to get parts one and two in order for this to be interesting, but I highly, highly recommend it. And part four is not out yet, so we will probably be covering that uh well, whenever he drops it. Uh, but we are reading part three today, titled, Bitcoin is the Antivirus, Mushroom Medicine. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into this piece. We've all heard the incredible potential of a Bitcoin future. I'm certainly on board for sound money and social scalability. However, this drama will take decades. What if Bitcoin doesn't survive long enough to realize its full potential? Thankfully, Satoshi learned from failed attempts at private money. Bitcoin's genetic code was engineered for maximum survivability. In this article, we're going to explore the fertile macro environment and Bitcoin's survivability through the lens of fungi. Here's the whole series for reference. Part 1. Bitcoin is a decentralized organism, mycelium. Part 2, Bitcoin is a social creature, mushroom. Part 3, Bitcoin is the antivirus to uncertainty, or medicine, this one. And Part 4, Bitcoin is a catalyst for human evolution, space money, coming soon. Let's dive in. Honeybees, Varroa mites, and mushroom medicines. In 1997, a curious mycologist by the name of Paul Stamets observed a unique behavior demonstrated by honeybees. The bees went out of their way to consume water containing 
mushroom spores. Hmm, that's interesting, thought Paul. Fifteen years later, Paul started to connect the dots. Honeybees were dying at an unprecedented rate due to colony collapse disorder, or CCD. The bees were dying in part by infestations of varroa mites, which transmit deadly viruses such as deformed wing virus and Lake Sinai virus. Chemicals used in modern agriculture poisoned the bees so their immune systems are too weak to fend off the varroa mites. As bees travel around, they spread the mites to all nearby bees, leading to a 70% decline in bee populations since 2005. Who cares about the bees? Bees are a bedrock species responsible for pollinating a large percentage of our food sources, avocados, almonds, etc. If we lose the bees, there are countless downstream effects, such as lost jobs, destroyed ecosystems, and reduced food security. Back to our mycologist, Paul, who in 2012 made a monumental realization. Fungi are known to support immune systems, and bees must have instinctively known to drink the fungal water. Paul tested his hypothesis and soon after demonstrated that using a simple antivirus, mushroom medicine, we can reduce the effects of deformed wing virus and colony collapse by 80%. Our current monetary regime is the Varroa mite. Our current central banking-based monetary regime is just like the pesky Varroa mites attacking our financial markets. 1. Varroa mites are hard to kill. Fiat currency regimes benefit from a monopoly on violence. 2. They spread viruses on everything they touch. Market distortions, cronyism, regulatory capture. And 3. Negative downstream effects. Capital misallocation, increased time preference, limits human productivity, and increases the risk of catastrophe. Bitcoin is the antivirus, the mushroom medicine that, quote, saves the bees. Bitcoin, the mushroom medicine, prevents the spread of our destructive financial hegemony, the Varroa mites, which will usher in a new era of human achievement. Saving the bees has secondary effects, such as ensuring food security. Heading into the Great Unknown we're heading into a period of uncertainty never before witnessed by our civilization. The fiat money experiment is on shaky ground, and our social systems are beginning to break down. Globally, we're facing unprecedented debt-to-GDP levels. The Fed, the European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, and the Bank of England now appear to, quote, own a fifth of their government's total debt. Central banks are running out of moves. In a last-ditch effort, European central banks are pushing negative interest rates. Are we really going to allow the hegemonic banking system to charge depositors for storing our digital fiat in their insecure panopticon banks? How about China? China's real estate market is shaky and long overdue for a correction. Capital controls and seeking yields in a cooling economy have led to inflated real estate prices in China. What happens when the market corrects 
and everyone rushes for the door. Better have a plan B. And the U.S.? The U.S. is currently over $22 trillion in debt. However, don't expect the U.S. to default on their obligations. Former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan said, The United States can pay any debt because we can always print money to do that. Easy money is one hell of a drug. In an enlightening article titled, This is Water, Ben Hunt explains how artificially suppressed interest rates, or easy money, led to decreased productivity and a zombification of our financial markets. The same pattern foreshadowed the 08-09 financial collapse. Quote, The reason companies aren't investing more aggressively in plant and equipment and technology is because we have the most accommodative monetary policy in the history of the world, with the easiest money to borrow that corporations have ever seen. Why in the world would management take the risk, and it's definitely a risk, of investing for real growth when they are so awash in easy money that they can beat their earnings guidance with a risk-free stock buyback? Why in the world would management take the risk, and it's definitely a risk, of investing for GAAP earnings when they are so awash in easy money that they can hit their pro forma narrative guidance by simply buying profitless revenue? Why in the world would companies take any risk at all when the Fed has eliminated any and all negative consequences for playing it safe? End quote. Social structures are showing weakness. Countries around the world are seeking to eliminate physical cash. Cash is a fundamental tool for privacy and is a requirement to maintain an open society. Without physical cash or Bitcoin, citizens are at the mercy of the financial surveillance machine. A slippery slope indeed. Can't forget China's social credit system. Soon China's surveillance technology will be exported all around the world. Young people don't trust their governments or financial institutions. 40% of Americans cannot afford an unexpected $400 expense. No wonder potential Democratic nominee Andrew Yang is gaining steam in the polls while campaigning for universal basic income. An uncertain future is a perfect substrate to breed extremism. Democratic socialism, modern monetary theory, negative interest rates policy, the war on cash, widespread consumerism, and mounting student debt are merely symptoms of a derelict regime. Our legacy institutions are simply not equipped to deal with the complexity of the information age. Current attempts to fix the political economic machine from the inside are unironically powered by the, quote, waste heat of the war machine. Hat tip Vinay Gupta. We need a systemic change, something cut from a different cloth. What if a sound money regime, Bitcoin, is an antidote to the madness? It is my hope that in the future we'll look back on our current, quote, fiat banking experiment with disgust. How could we live under such an archaic regime for so long? 
Just like fungi transforms dead and dying organic matter into new life, Bitcoin will transform our decrepit banking system into a robust financial foundation upon which new growth can occur. The Great Filter of Cryptocurrencies Can Bitcoin survive long enough to reach its full potential? Cypherpunks, anarchists, and voluntarists have been trying to create private, non-government money for a very long time. In fact, modern attempts date back more than 30 years since the early days of Chalmian eCash to eGold and B-Money. Despite moderate success of private money before Bitcoin, eventually they were all shut down by overreaching governments and or business interests. The Great Filter Theory The Great Filter Theory was developed after noticing our lack of success finding intelligent life in the universe. Where is everybody? The theory predicts, during life's evolutionary process, there are some obstacles that are extremely unlikely or impossible to overcome. That obstacle is the Great Filter. For example, what if every time an advanced civilization created nuclear bombs, it ended up destroying itself? In this scenario, it might be statistically improbable to survive long after inventing nuclear weapons. For cryptocurrencies, the Great Filter is surviving nation-state level attacks. Bitcoin is the only monetary species that has a chance of surviving the Great Filter. More on this below. Why would a nation-state or entrenched business want to attack a competitive form of money? In short, he who has the gold makes the rules. The two main benefits of controlling the money supply are the ability to inflate the money supply, a shadow tax, and the Cantillon effect. The Cantillon effect describes the uneven expansion of the money supply. When the central bank prints new money, those closest to the money, banks and big corporations, profit from new, cheap money. By the time the rest of the population receives the new money, price inflation has already begun. The Cantillon effect results in a wealth redistribution from the poor to the rich. Quote, I care not what puppet is placed upon the throne of England to rule the empire on which the sun never sets. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls the British empire, and I control the British money supply. Nathan Mayer Rothschild the government goes to great lengths to protect their monopoly. Like e-gold in the 1990s, any competing cryptocurrency can thrive in times of peace. However, when sufficiently agitated, those in power will lash out to protect their interests. History is littered with examples. Between 2006 and 2008, the U.S. government expanded the definition of the money transmitter license under the Patriot Act to target e-gold. In its peak, e-gold was processing over $2 billion worth of purchases per year. Unfortunately, the U.S. government took advantage of the centralized nature of e-gold, busted down the door, and shut it down. Moral of the story? Governments do not like competition. In fact, Congressman Sherman from California recently called for a complete ban of Bitcoin. 
Sherman is surprisingly enlightened. He understands Bitcoin's true mission, creating a new global base money that cannot be weaponized by the global superpower du jour. Time for a new strategy. Be unstoppable. In 1984, famous Austrian economist Friedrich August von Hayek unknowingly laid the foundation of Bitcoin's evolutionary strategy: "Be unstoppable." Quote, "I don't believe we shall ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of government. That is, we can't take it violently out of the hands of government. All we can do is, by some sly roundabout way, introduce something." That they can't stop," end quote. Friedrich Hayek. With chilling foresight, Hayek predicted Bitcoin some 25 years prior. Satoshi obviously read Hayek, and he understood the great filter of cryptocurrencies. In 2009, Satoshi Nakamoto released an implementation of Hayek's unstoppable money. From day one, Bitcoin was engineered to survive the Great Filter. Quote, a lot of people automatically dismiss e-currency as a lost cause because of all the companies that failed since the 1990s. I hope it's obvious it was only the centrally controlled nature of those systems that doomed them. I think this is the first time we're trying a decentralized, non-trust-based system. End quote. Satoshi Nakamoto. All right, let's take a quick break. I'm going to go、uh, get something else to drink. We'll hit our sponsor and come back and finish up this awesome piece.、Uh, Bitcoin is the antivirus. In order for the full potential of Bitcoin to be realized, it needs to be so resilient that even nation-state level actors cannot successfully kill Bitcoin. This meant preventing any party from having full control over the system. Parallels with fungi, the most resilient species on our planet. Over 1.3 billion years of evolution, fungi have perfected the art of staying alive. Unlike plants, fungi do not rely on sunlight. Instead, they find or create their own food. Fungi do not have a centralized point of failure, making them resilient to attacks. When sufficiently perturbed, fungi steal genetic code from their ecological neighbors. The horizontal gene transfer. Since complex life evolved on our planet, we've experienced five great extinction events, where 75 to 96 percent of all life on Earth perished. During each cataclysmic event, fungi inherited the Earth due to their anti-fragile nature. In an effort to survive the Great Filter, Bitcoin mimics effective evolutionary strategies observed in the fungi kingdom. Can Bitcoin survive the Great Filter? How could you kill Bitcoin? Turn off the internet? Make it illegal to use? Tax it to hell? Any cryptocurrency that cannot feasibly survive a nation-state level attack is pointless. Simply delaying their inevitable demise, Satoshi designed the Bitcoin superorganism to survive the Great Filter and to resist corruption. 
This lofty goal kickstarted an evolutionary path separating Bitcoin from all the other cryptocurrencies and, quote, blockchain projects. Does this mean Bitcoin is guaranteed to survive the Great Filter? Not necessarily. It's impossible to know until the day it suffers a coordinated attack by a state-level actor. However, Bitcoin is the only existing cryptocurrency that stands a chance. Let's explore some positive trends in Bitcoin's survivability toolbox. Bitcoin is unregulatable. No one person or entity in charge. Code is free speech. Each country has their own competing jurisdiction. Game theory protects Bitcoin from a global coordinated attack. Nation states compete with each other, unlikely to see top nations cooperate. If the U.S. bans Bitcoin, China has incentive to adopt. Nations not benefiting from the current USD regime have incentive to adopt BTC. Bitcoin's proof-of-work protects the ledger with an energy shield. By anchoring Bitcoin to real economic value or energy, the only way to change the ledger is to, quote, redo all the work, aka spend the same amount of money in the form of electricity. Hat tip to Dan Held. Bitcoin inspires a religious fervor from its supporters. Ideologically motivated hardliners act as an immune system. Surviving the scaling wars, New York Agreement and Segwit2x demonstrates this. Bitcoiners, quote, provide cover fire until Bitcoin gets through the door. Hat tip to the Bitcoin sign guy. Bitcoin can route around ISP censorship. Bitcoin has a growing network of alternatives to the mainstream internet. Mesh networks, ham radios, and satellites. Maybe even routing transactions through a mycelial network. Theoretically possible. Bitcoin is an idea. Ideas are eternal. Bitcoin spreads like a mind virus. Even if somehow the current form was killed, the idea will live forever. Quote, This snow crash thing? Is it a virus, a drug, or a religion? Juanita shrugs. What's the difference? Hat tip to Neil Stevenson. Bitcoin's privacy improvements reduce taxability. Coin joins and other privacy technologies will minimize the ability for governments to attack Bitcoin through predatory tax legislation. Thank you, Wasabi Wallet and Samurai Wallet. Bitcoin minimizes the ability to cheat. Bitcoin doesn't rely on trust. Think can't be changed instead of trusting that a system won't be changed. Bitcoin recognizes leaders, formalized governance, and concentration of power as attack vectors waiting to be exploited. Nation states underestimate Bitcoin. This buys time for Bitcoin to get stronger and harder to kill. The hegemonic banking system is digging their own grave with shovels made of 100% pure hubris. If only we had a backup plan. So far, we haven't seen any serious state-level attack on Bitcoin. However, if Bitcoin continues to absorb value, there is an incentive to attack it. In the future, We'll call this period in Bitcoin's life the Great Peace. 
alternative game theory. Honey Badger lives here. Bitcoin only needs to convince a few superpowers that the reward of adopting it outweighs the risk of attacking it. This game theory is similar to having a sign in front of your house that says, Security System Installed, or Big Angry Dog Lives Here. It doesn't matter if you actually have a dog or a security system, the threat alone acts like a deterrent to would-be attackers. Bitcoin has a sign in the front yard that says, Beware of Honey Badger. This sign reminds nation-states that they cannot easily kill Bitcoin. If nation-states attempt to destroy their monetary competition, they'll highlight the very need for Bitcoin in the first place. And yet, the longer they wait, the stronger Bitcoin becomes. The blockchain industry is a red herring. First, it's important to understand that blockchainers, stablecoiners, security tokenizers, and corporate chainers do not compete with Bitcoin. They taxonomically branched off and are attempting to satisfy a separate niche. By and large, the blockchain industry is a red herring, leading businesses and governments to false conclusions. It serves as a distraction and unwillingly provides cover fire for Bitcoin. Does that mean we should shun the blockchainers? No, they simply mistake blockchain hype, the mushroom, for Bitcoin, the mycelial network. We should first attempt to educate them, as most people were not born Bitcoiners. That being said, deliberate scammers deserve to be flamed. How the blockchain industry helps Bitcoin. Blockchainers tie up government resources, train future developers, confuse incumbent businesses, and lull banksters to sleep. Banks like JP Morgan will train hundreds of blockchain developers. Eventually, they'll discover Bitcoin and say goodbye to boring bank coin and instead join the peaceful revolution. JP Morgan is funding their own demise? How poetic. Zuckerberg will soon put a crypto wallet in everyone's pocket. Instead of competing with Bitcoin, Zuckbucks may actually attempt to compete with US dollar. Either way, it gets people comfortable with non-state money on their phone, similar to WeChat and Alipay. The first widespread censorship of Zuckbucks will nicely demonstrate the need for Bitcoin in the first place. Blockchainers and scammers claim Bitcoin is old and can't scale. It's beanie babies in MySpace. They paint Bitcoin as a friendly but limited-use fungus that brought us the blockchain, quote-unquote. While the blockchain zeitgeist chases their tail, Bitcoin is quietly growing underground, fusing with the roots of the legacy finance system, building resilience, recruiting volunteers, infecting curious minds like a cordyceps mushroom, and preparing for the great filter. If we're lucky, blockchainers will distract global superpowers just long enough for Bitcoin to become too big to fail. Let's wrap up. Did you enjoy part three? Part four is coming out soon where we will explore Bitcoin as a catalyst for human evolution. Here's part one and two in case you missed them. Part four teaser. 
Let's assume Bitcoin fulfills its destiny as the global monetary base. What are the effects of unleashing a globally accessible, technologically advanced, open, ideal money? Bitcoin enables humanity to reach the heavens. Bitcoin is space money. Bitcoin is the renaissance. Follow me here on Medium and Twitter to be notified when part four is released. Come say hello on Twitter. My DMs are open. Thanks for reading. Brandon. All right, and he has a, uh, uh, he has a list of acknowledgments for uh, Nick Carter, Gigi, Robert Breedlove, and Danielle Diamond uh, for reviewing uh, earlier drafts of this piece and also has a number of suggestions on, apparently people have been asking for resources about, you know, more on the whole mushroom and fungi topic, and uh, uh, links to the Paul Stamets on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is a really good one, actually, I've listened to that one, uh, and his uh, TED Talk, um, uh, and a couple other, a couple other uh, links here, so definitely go check out the actual article. Um, so that you can explore this further. There are actually a number of other links kind of uh, spaced throughout the mix to kind of dive a little bit deeper into the topic. And I definitely encourage it because this is, this is one of those metaphors that I really, really love um, just because it's a fascinating thing to explore. And there's definitely a degree of truth in it. Like it sounds absurd on its face, I feel like, that um, because of the the natural tendency to think about an organ, like how we think about an organism. Um, in fact, uh, fungus, in just kind of a general sense, is rather bizarre on the whole scale of organisms. Uh, so it's um, uh, it's really hard to understand that people might be parts of another. Uh, network another system that could be described as or uh, properly mimic the kind of behaviors and the characteristics of something that is an organism of its own. In fact, like you could almost argue that the economy itself is a large part of that. Um, I mean, think about the incredible, like the huge amounts of complexity and the various roles that are played in society versus like force cells in a human body. Um, I mean, the analogies are uh, just go on and on. Like uh, it's uh, like the idea of a multicellular organism is that cells have essentially established themselves in certain roles and that they cooperate to build something that is a joint goal or end that uh, is trying to be met, but like our roads, our our uh, our internet, like like we have we have mental networks um, around the world that communicate, um, just like we have uh, nerves and communication networks within our bodies. Um, we have uh, we have like roads and systems to ship and get resources. We have uh, a response system. Um, just like we have a chemical response system that tells our body where resources are needed, like which which muscles are burning the most energy and uh, how to distribute to those. We have a price system that allows us to distribute resources to where they're needed in the economy, to where they are, um, like so that part of the the 
economic body does not deteriorate or uh, fall away. And like, like the, the analogies are endless. Like we could, you could just keep going on and on. And the fact that uh, humans work together, like, like everything that we know of as life and the normal idea of being human is deeply rooted in social organization. We cannot get around working with each other. Like the ability to be self-sustaining is uh, with our technology is actually possible, but it is impossible without the benefits of te the technology, which is us relying on thousands of years of development and innovation and work of other people. So it is still relying, like just my, the very nature that I can go buy a hammer means that I didn't have to do the work to figure out how to build, uh, construct, find the resources and all of that stuff for that hammer. I am greatly benefiting from thousands of years of uh, manufacturing improvements and uh, innovations in efficiency and in uh, the varying resources that you can make a hammer out of so that you can get one now today for like five bucks that'll do decent job for a cheap hammer, you know? So one could argue that we as individual humans without the body, without the economy, uh, cannot survive really any better than a cell can without being part of the human body. Uh, and like maybe there, there is obviously a degree there, but when we talk about like, like our spread over the, over the planet, like the only reason we can have as many cells, as many individuals as we have now is because we have, uh, uh, we can produce, even though we are unhealthy at the moment, we can produce a healthy body in order to, um, have a thriving uh, culture of cells, a thriving network of cells working together, of individuals. Um, the, the world could never, ever sustain seven or eight billion people without an efficient economic system. Like, I mean, you're not even close. But in that sense, when you start fleshing out this thing as... Like maybe we are creating, and maybe we are a part of something bigger that's real. That's that, like e even though it seems absurd on its face, and it's hard to, it's hard to accept something that sounds that crazy because it's very easy for us to see from an individual's individualistic stance, and just the nature of trying to imagine the economy is almost laughable. Like you can't even. The scope of even like a large city is hard to imagine. Um, I mean, not hard, it's impossible. Like you can't possibly, like I constantly in the, the Raleigh-Durham like triangle area, um, I, I'm constantly blown away how big this is, how much activity there is, how many, like the scope of just the varying things that go on in this area is something that is impossible to put entirely together. Um, like no one can hold all of that activity or understand exactly what's going on or all the ins and outs of uh, the economic needs in this area 100%. Like nobody can possibly imagine the amount of knowledge and information and uh, activity that goes on. It's just, it's just not even close. Um, but... When you start looking at something like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, in a sense, if if we're talking about like higher order organisms where 
um, like where we create these networks, like fungal networks, where the all the individual pieces of the fungus are standalone. Like you can, you know, you can split a fungal network in half, and it still behave. It it just becomes two networks, um, and that's it, when you start to realize that all of the things are simply the the individual pieces of this system are simply cooperating to best achieve the ends that's best for each of the individual pieces that life may be easier or better understood as a an abstraction of incredible complexity into a more simplified category like into a, a, a something that's simpler to understand and i actually think this imagery this uh, this frame of reference makes it easier to understand the, I, the 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 role that ideas play in our economy and when you have an institution that's parasitic to the economy something like like our government and financial institutions and the idea of bitcoin as an antivirus is just fascinating to think about because it is a new set of incentives. It is, a, it is something that changes the underlying processes that essentially destroys the environment with, with which that parasite can survive. Um, it is only when the environment allows the behaviors to take place, when there is no defense against um, an attack, uh, a particular attack vector, and that's the whole idea is like you when you think about this in like a terms of like game theory like any kind of attack vector is just it's not a question of does it get um exploited it's a question of when and massive monopolistic like financial controls the uh the manipulation of the economic mechanism itself of the pricing structure in order to benefit one institution at the cost of everyone else is an attack vector that has been exploited by every government since government was a thing. And I mean, it's, it's the reason, I mean, it's the same story over and over again. And we see the stage is set. Um, I mean, just lays out the the, the last-ditch effort of negative interest rates. I mean, the, the, absolute, the fact that this is just kind of being done with, like, hardly any consideration. Like, nobody is... Like, the fact that nobody is freaking out about this. I mean, granted, people are freaking out. There's a lot of people, particularly in the Bitcoin space. But that this is just kind of business as usual for the mainstream media and the like kind of the current and every regime that this the entire modern financial system is headed into negative interest rate territory this has never happened before in human history and it's just like oh well it's obviously this is just the next step it's how we're going to boost the economy we're going to bring everything back into good and everything's going to be great you know it's absolutely absurd it's so absurd that it's hard to believe someone can speak about it with a straight face. Negative interest rates. That they are going to consume resources and charge the people who have 
made and earned the resources for the right to for them to consume it. That is what a negative interest rate means. I am going to consume someone else's resources. I am going to doubly be a parasite. First, I'm going to take your resources for uh, through the manipulation of a monetary mechanism. I'm not going to provide you those same resources or the, that same value in return, which is what money's job actually is and what the role of the economy is to do so that our organism that we are um, fueling here does not die uh, due to a parasite or a cancer. And they are being that cancer and making the environment available to profit in that way. So they're doing that, and then they're charging a negative interest rate on it. Then they're saying, we're then going to charge you for the fact that we have taken your resources. And it's just, oh, it's so painful. And we need an antivirus so bad. Um, a, a solution to this could not be more critical. Um, like this will kill the organism. Uh, in fact, I'm not 100% sure if there's any way to save it. It's just that we have to shed the shell of our old one and build a new one in its place, which is what Bitcoin is doing. Bitcoin is like a better DNA. It's like a better protocol. It's a it's a signaling mechanism. Like, so if we think of the price system as a signaling mechanism to uh, determine where resources are needed and to make sure that we're not feeding cancers, that we're not feeding parasites, and instead we're keeping a healthy, uh, uh, lively organism alive that we can all benefit from, you know, being a part of. That's the purpose of the price mechanism, just like chemical mechanisms to tell us where to take resources, tell cell, cells where to take resources in our body. Then Bitcoin is a protocol. Well, when we talk about like government and the modern financial banking system is a, a parasite, a system that is able to manipulate those chemical signals to direct all the resources to them, to grow like a cancer and continue to suck up more and more of the resources until they kill the body for their own benefit and uh, basically make the entire body work in order to fuel the cancer instead of making the body healthy. And honestly, that's basically where we are. In fact, that's a pretty damn good analogy. It works uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, and... Um, it exposes exactly what the fraud of the financial system is and shows why it gets so massive and so bloated and tends to think it runs the world um, uh, because it's, it's manipulating the chemical system to direct all resources toward it and its goals as opposed to uh, those who are actually contributing and making the resources and earning the value uh, that's being confiscated. It's being sent and consumed by the cancer. Uh, and it's everywhere. It's it's not. That's the thing is that this somehow we first have this. Uh, it's the first time in history we've had a truly global connected economy um, to any comparable degree. Like like trying to compare what we have today versus 300 years ago as far as like a global economy is. I mean, there's no comparison. Um, it's it's an entirely different game today, and because of that. All of our finances, all of our, even our government systems got deeply, deeply interconnected and they began to sort of behave as this one cancer as opposed to 
many cancers. We ended up with essentially a world, one world government with the idea of a dollar reserve currency and then massive central banks that basically cooperate to enforce the exact same policies because it's sort of in their benefit to work in tandem um, so that, you know, they essentially nobody stands out. It, like, it's like this is just, this is normal business. This is how we do things. But we see, we see the consequences of this. Like it's, it, it's not, it's obvious to everyone that our financial system it obvious to everyone paying attention, everyone who is actually looking uh, knows that our entire financial system, our, our global dominant financial system is on the brink of collapse, is unbelievably shaky and based on completely uh, unbacked and uh, f- false value, essentially, um, a, a fake assumption of uh, what kind of productivity and actual value is there? Uh, social structures are breaking down because we're seeing the body is sick. Um, the the cancer has gotten out of control, and now the only part of the bodies that are thriving are those that are attached to and helping the cancer. Uh, everybody else in the real economy, everyone else um, trying to respond to actual economic incentives and uh, actually having to earn and do all of the work have nothing they're struggling um they're in a worse situation everybody's in debt everybody's on the verge of uh, i mean the, that statistic that that uh 40% of americans cannot afford an unexpected $400 expense that is a sick sick organism our entire economy is in shambles that is that is what that means and if anybody thinks that half, nearly half of the American population uh, is, is financial situation isn't a result of our monetary system, that the manipulation of prices and interest rates and debts does not affect that, is blind. They are not paying attention because that is exactly what it affects. It's saying that these people are in debt up to their eyeballs, that they can't afford anything, that they have all been directed with bad incentives. You know, there are always stupid people who make stupid decisions, but if incentives are aligned, half the country, half the population does not make the wrong decision because the incentives punish them for the wrong decisions and reward them for the right ones. And instead, our incentives incentives are reversed and we have been wrongly rewarded for bad decisions and irresponsible and sickly uh, things that activities and uh, choices that make our economy sick for decades and decades and the bill is finally coming due but then we enter bitcoin and bitcoin is a correction to those incentives bitcoin is actually a uh, it's the equivalent of, as far as like a difference in the incentives, it's, it's the equivalent of like not slowly, you know, dipping your toe in the water and then getting up to your knees and then, you know, sitting down on the step and then working your way into the pool. It's literally jumping out of a helicopter into the ocean. It is full on 100%, no questions asked. This is the, this is real economic incentives and this is real sound money. And it cleans the chemical. The, the, the signaling mechanism for uh, the resource 
uh, allocation of society, and it will drain the financial bank, the the major financial system of their resource manipulation, and the the cancer will essentially have to turn into healthy tissue or be uh, evacuated from the body, essentially. And that's why I think it's critically important that we adopt Bitcoin because otherwise there's no, we're just going to all, the, the organism's just going to die and we're going to have to scramble together to try to put something in its place. Um, because if the organism dies, none of us can feed ourselves. Um, it, like I can't, I, I can't do this show without somebody else who knows how to make computers that I can communicate with and tra- exchange value with. Like, it is the most critical. There's nothing. I mean, and obviously, I don't have to have a podcast in order to eat. But just as an example of what is what I am doing right now, none of it is possible without the help of millions of other people. We, none of us are self-sufficient. Even somebody who lives on their own land and you know lives with has a solar power for uh, to power their house and their battery backup. They didn't make the solar panels. They didn't. They didn't make the solar cells or the battery backups. They didn't make the the tractor that they're using to farm their land. Like, if any of that stuff breaks, they need a economic organism. They need a giant economy with millions of people sharing and exchanging value and ideas properly and with good economic signals, actual market incentives, in order to keep all of that stuff running. But that's one of the most fascinating things about a monetary crisis is that it's got nothing to do with the machines. That all the body parts of this, of this economic system are here. We can still produce, like when you have a monetary collapse, you don't lose the ability to produce shirts. Like the manufacturing plants don't just blow up. What we lose is the ability to communicate. It's as if our language broke down and suddenly... None of the words that I am speaking mean the same thing to anyone listening. And in that same way, the money breaks down and no one can communicate value, which simply means the body, like in our analogy, that the body is unable to regulate itself. It's unable to regulate its temperature. It's unable to get resources to uh, the body parts that are uh, starving, essentially. And... Uh, this, what leads, this is what leads us, because this is a networked organism that we're talking about, and we have these protocols, these uh, Bitcoin is kind of like the DNA of our value communication or the neural network of our economy, that uh, uh, we have this great filter and that we have to be able to survive. Bitcoin has to survive a nation-state level attack. And obviously, this goes back to the whole idea of small blocks. It has to work. This has to be able to, you know, uh, uh, get across, you know, satellites. Like, it needs to be able to get through every crack in every border. It needs to maintain global consensus and be completely censorship resistant, no matter what jurisdiction or location it is in the world. It needs to be ubiquitous everywhere it is. Or ubiquitous is not the word. Um... Uh, uh, universal, no. Um, it, it needs to behave the same everywhere. It cannot be, there can be no ge- geographic or political jurisdiction in which Bitcoin is different than it is everywhere else because that's the only way it becomes a global haven against this cancer that we're having to deal with, this debt and 
uh, false, false signaling mechanism that has thrown the entire economic body out of balance. And that's what makes it in, like, like, almost inevitable that the cancer is going to fight back because the cancer will die if it... Like, the cancer cares just about as, as, just as much about itself as everybody else cares about themselves. Um, and uh, we're talking about adopting a signaling protocol that stops sending resources to the cancer, um, or at least the, the largest attack vector which that cancer is funneling resources to itself from. We're going to cut off 90% of it. So this may be the great filter for Bitcoin is does it survive, or for cryptocurrencies in general, can it survive the largest adversary that it directly competes with? Um, and to some degree, uh, you know, it may be, in fact, there's a really good article uh, that I might be covering on the show, I guess now that I'm mentioning I probably will, by Jesse Lawler, um, uh, who's actually a patron of the show, um, about how he thinks the... Uh, incentives essentially lays out an argument saying that the incentives uh, actually suggest that there won't be a state-level attack, that just the nature of Bitcoin itself will be co-opted, um, and not co-opted in the sense that they're going to, I mean, anybody would try to control it if they could, but that um, it will actually be in their best interest to adopt it, and that uh, there will, no, there will be no cohesive government action against it because there will be fighting in the government against um, from people who uh, were, are adopting Bitcoin and people who are seeing it as a threat uh, that because they will not work in concert or they may not be able to work in concert because of the incentives and the, essentially the self-interest, uh, the motivation of people and the, the, the element of the game, the kind of Bitcoin is the wild card. It puts this whole new, it's this whole new player in the game that just changes all of the outcomes. Um, and it changes the incentive for everybody else still playing in that game. Uh, so uh, I love the idea of Bitcoin as an antivirus or a uh, anti-cancer drug. Or maybe, maybe it's better understood as a an evolution of our system, a new evolution, because evolution comes when uh, one thing begins to collapse and you know new ideas uh, spring up, and and that's kind of what we have. We have we have the evolution of a system that is under incredible strain and pressure, that is forcing new ideas to the surface, um, and Bitcoin is that evolution. It's a new system that is immune to exactly the sickness that our global economy is going through right now, that is in, immune to the imbalances that we are seeing on an unbelievable scale today. So if our global economy is an organism and we're asking the doctor for what to do, our prescription is Bitcoin. And really, it's extraordinary that we have this at our disposal, that this technology exists and that it came about exactly when it did, um, because it truly, truly changes the game. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, this was part three of four. We got space money coming soon, and I have little doubt that I'll be covering it uh, uh, on the show, that I won't be covering it on the show. And again, this is by Brandon Quidham. 
If you have not listened or read parts one and two, I highly recommend it. I will link to this article um, where he's got all the links and, like I said, a number of other ones to dig a little deeper into this concept um, uh, on his Medium post. And uh, I will link to, I will tag him in Twitter so that you can follow him there as well. And I'll uh, drop, it's, it's just his name, Brandon Quittem, uh, Q-U-I-T-T-E-M. So definitely follow him so you don't miss part four and all the other great stuff that he is always working on. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, sorry I didn't get this one out yesterday, so it's late and I got BitBlock Boom happening. Uh, I'll be heading out tomorrow morning. I'm going to still try to get a uh, episode recorded uh, so that y'all have one to listen to tomorrow. And I know we've got some really fun stuff coming up next week. Um, I've got an interview uh, that I'm getting scheduled right now that I think is going to be really exciting and y'all are going to love. So definitely, definitely don't miss this. Uh, uh, Stay tuned. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of the brilliant written works uh, made available in audio with the crypto economy read by guy swan the guy who has read more about about bitcoin than anybody else you know and this is where you are going to learn all about bitcoin and the crypto economy its impact uh, its social and philosophical foundations the technology and all the crazy stuff being built and what it means through the words of all the most brilliant authors in this space. That's the crypto economy. That's what I'm doing here and why I'm doing it. So thank you very much for joining me. Don't forget to follow me on at the crypto economy on Twitter and check out the website at thecryptoeconomy.com where we've got a lot of other great stuff. And until next time, take it easy guys.